in the 40th chapter, listen to the, the, the important information we have here. He is the prophet of comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sins has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. And it goes on in a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Who is that? Thank you. Uh, make way for the Lord. Make straight his wilderness. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for your God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall be made level and the rugged place a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed for all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord Jehovah has spoken. Then we go on. And listen to this comforting message from Isaiah. This is in chapter 40 in the very end. And it says, do you not know, verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In case some of you think that God gets tired, he will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. Uh, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Uh, I'm just going through this because... When I start to tell you a little about Isaiah, you'll know why it was so important that his ministry be upheld. When you go into the, let's go now to 53, and you will see how beautiful this is. In chapter 45, just in case uh, you don't know the story of, it's Isaiah's prophecy that contained the message to Cyrus, the king of, of uh, uh, Persia, uh, either Persia or the Chaldean king, one of the two. Uh, and this prophecy came forth 150 years before the king was born. And when the Israelite people were transported, when they were taken away in captivity, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to them and said, your captivity is over. And they had the scrolls. And they took the scrolls to the king, and the king's name was Cyrus. <laughs> and they opened the scroll, and they said, look what the word says. And the Lord says to his anointed, it's the first Gentile king that's ever called anointed from the Lord. And it says uh, to Cyrus, uh, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to stir kings uh, of their, and to strip kings of their honor and to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you. And when Cyrus read this, he says, what? Your God was talking about me? And it goes on to say that God would use him to bring the people back. He says, fine, I have no problems. If God said it, and if it's true, get going. I'll be with you. Isn't that, isn't that matchless? Isaiah. Isaiah. Okay. Let us then go on to what I was saying to you. 
Isaiah 53. I can't read it all, but listen to this, verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought, that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid, upon, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers in silent, uh, uh, is silent, uh, so sh he did not open his mouth. This is talking about Jesus. Would you go with me to 55? What does Calvary do for the people? What did Calvary do for the people? Can you see that he is an evangelist? Can you see that Isaiah is an evangelist? The evangelist of the Old Testament. 55, come all ye who are thirsty, come to the waters. Uh, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread and your labor and what, is not, what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. I have made him a witness to the people, a leader and a commander of the people. Surely you will summon nations and you will, you, you will summon nations you know not and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thought. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Then goes on to explain a little bit about God. Now listen to this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, I do, and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. I will not, re it will not return empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You, hey folks, you in crossroads right now, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills will burst in song before you. And the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of thorn bush will grow the pine tree. And instead of briar, the myrtle will, will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. From there on, he goes all the way into the 60s to talk about God's blessing. Now we're coming back to Isaiah 6. I read all of this to simply tell you that God is the one that chooses 
And always remember, he chooses because he has been chosen. Now you say, what do you mean by that? When God chooses a person to follow him, when God chooses a person to take his hand, it's because God knows that that person has already said yes. Okay? It's a, it's a, it's a choice on choice basis. And I love that. And you say, well, God's God and he knows. Yes, he does know. But his knowing does not affect your choice. You must make your choice. And, and that's the way it goes. That's why you can't just drop it. That's why you can't just leave it. That's why you can't just say, well, if he wants me to. No, no, you've got to want to. And this is the most important thing we learn. And in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. King Uzziah was a righteous king. King Uzziah was a holy king. King Uzziah was a good king. King Uzziah was known for his good works. Now there came one time when the king took a position in which he decided that he could do uh, some priestly work which he was not supposed to do. And so he went into God's house uh, uh, being king and thinking that authority was okay. He lit the incense of the altar. Now God had said that that was for the priest to do and no one else. Uh, and when he came out of the temple, he was plagued with leprosy and died with it. You say, but Amy, uh, Pastor Amy, I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, or I don't understand it either, but I'll give you two verses that help me a little bit. Unto whom much is given, much is required. Okay? I'm always angry at God because Moses didn't go into the promised land. But unto whom much is given, much is required. And that's the way it is. You know, people want the top-notch spot. People want the top-notch place. But what they don't realize is that top-notch space takes a great deal of responsibility. And the failure in a top-notch space means the cutting down uh, from the Lord, not from his grace, not from eternal, an eternal reward with him. Uh, but it means uh, uh, that God will not permit us to commit those errors which he's told us not to in leadership. Hey, I don't argue with God. I used to. I don't. And now when I don't understand, I just stay still and wait. Because I have learned one thing. He is just. And I have learned something else. He doeth all things well. I've learned something else that he's a God of love. Not like your love nor like my love. It fluctuates. It turns. It changes. It has variations. It suffers weather patterns. Not God's love. Then I found out something else. That he's got a plan for each individual life which has nothing to do with anybody else. God doesn't teach us and God doesn't deal with us in bunches, in groups, in pelotas, handfuls. He just doesn't do that. God deals individually with every life. Somebody else can pray for you. Somebody else can anoint you. Somebody else can touch you. Uh, somebody else can lift you up before the Lord. But when it comes to the act of what God's going to do in your heart, you've got to say, do it, Lord. No matter how much everybody else cries out, if you don't say, do it, it's not going to be done. Why? I've also learned this. God's a gentleman. The epitome of gentleness and of gentle being. And I praise the Lord for that. Because when I think of God. 
I stand in awe. My hands go up in praise, and my mind moves out simply because I can't fathom him. I cannot understand him. I just know that he is. So I'm not out to, to, to shadow box with him. I'm not out to see if maybe, you know, who, what, when. That, that's not the issue. I'm just out to love him, and sometimes in my love I'm frightened to death because I can't believe that a God so great would even dare deal with me. And so that frightens me, and it makes me very humble, okay? So now as we look at this scripture, I want you to see just a few things together with me. Number one, you'll see the call of God on Isaiah's life, and you'll see that the king dies in the year that he responds to God. And I'll tell you something about that. Isaiah is not like uh, Elisha. Elijah found Elisha in the fields with oxen opening up the fields. And that's where Elijah went to tap him on the shoulder <clears throat> and to tell him that God wanted him as a prophet. Isaiah doesn't come from the fields. Isaiah didn't come from the country. Isaiah was not a hick. He was not a country boy nor a farm boy. Isaiah was brought up in palaces. Isaiah was always surrounded by the good life of the palace. Can I tell you something? The good life of the palace is a very dangerous life. The palace is the place where everything is placed before you, where you don't have to cook, where you don't have to work, where you don't have many schedules. And this was his life. And whenever he had a problem, and whatever he wanted to solve, and whatever he wanted to do, he would just go to the king. Isn't it nice to know the top honcho? Isn't it nice to know that, hey, just ask him. He's never said no to you, because this is like, this is like a godchild, and that's what he was like. And under these circumstances, Isaiah's life was... I don't know if I could call it this, but very wishy-washy and not very stable. It wasn't the Isaiah waiting for a message from God. It wasn't the Isaiah praying at an altar. It wasn't the Isaiah entrenched in ministry. It was the Isaiah with God's hand on his life, living the playboy life in the palace. That's it. And I'm glad to tell you that God brings out servants from everywhere. There may be some very, very elite people somewhere in this city of New York that God's got their hands on them and God will call them. And hey, let's just trust God because he knows what he does. He pulls some of us out of the country. He pulls some of us out of the South Bronx. He pulls some of us out of, hey, what can I tell you? but he takes others from other places. And this is what happened. And in the year that, I, that King Uzziah died, in other words, in the year that the man that granted me all my wishes died, you know something? Sometimes it's necessary to come to the point where everything you hold dear is snatched from you. God is the only one that can use negatives and turn them into positives. In the year he died, I saw the Lord. It should have been the worst year of my life. 
I should have mourned him for years and years. But in the year that he died, I saw the Lord. So if you're going through terror, if you're going through taxing times, if you're going through conflicts, if there's a tremendous, uh, what shall we say, uh, a question mark, signo de interrogación, uh, a tremendous uh, a question mark as far as why, why is this happening to me? You say, I've got the call of God on my life, but I haven't been able to straighten out my existence to answer the call of God. Well, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I don't know what it'll take for you to see the Lord, but whatever it takes, he will then show you who he is. But you see, God is a jealous God. He doesn't like distracting views. I have a weakness that I must correct. When I'm doing something, I want to finish it. So if someone else comes, I have a tendency to continue so that I can finish and look up and look up and look up. And all of a sudden I realize I'm in the territory of bad manners. I'm in the territory of not being faithful to the person that's facing me. And after tremendous convictions and trying to uh, race out my conviction by finishing what I want to finish, I've got something to tell you. You can't, God doesn't do that to you and you can't do it to God. When you call on God, you've got his full attention. When God speaks to you, he wants your full attention. And God does want to talk to you. And God is a gentleman who is saying, let me speak to you. Let me talk to you. Let me share my heart with you. Let me, won't you please listen? And sometimes if we don't, it will take a calamity to push us into a corner, to sit us on the floor, to have no place to go, and nothing we want to think about. And then all of a sudden, we're still enough to see the Lord. God help us. Now, why did he see the Lord? And what did he see about the Lord? First of all, he saw the Lord, and he saw something about the Lord, which is one of the most important secrets about God. And what is that? First of all, that he's high and lifted up, eternal and almighty, and wrap that all up together and say, he is holy. We don't fully understand the extent of holiness. Sometimes holiness is something we don't want preached because we get down into little things that just bother us. Uh, uh, we get down into uh, oh, what? What do we get down into? Oh, well, some pet little things I like to do and, and places I like to go and, and, and situations I like to handle uh, and, and, and things that are fun to me. And, and I, I don't really want to ever give them up. Can I tell you something? That's not holiness. That's your guilt for not knowing God and not knowing what God wants you into. And because you don't know what God wants you into, you have an imagination up here of everything everybody's told you that God doesn't want you to do. And all that has literally turned into tiny little fractures, or what shall we say, fractions, your thought. The holiness of God simply means a single eye to him. That's all it means. That's holiness. That is holiness. It doesn't mean you don't smoke. It doesn't mean you don't drink. 
It doesn't mean you don't dance. It doesn't mean you don't, hey, I can give you all the don'ts. I know about 57 of them. And you could probably give me another 30 and we can, we can, we can line them up from top to bottom. That's not holiness. Because you don't do all of these things, it doesn't mean you're holy. There are people that don't do anything that I mentioned but have a tongue that they could tear the world up and with. There are other people that don't do anything I mentioned but have such evil thoughts about everything they see that they could burn the world. They got a little hell up here. You don't even need a hell in there, wherever it is. I mean that. That's not holiness. Holiness is a single eye, mind, and heart toward God. And you know what, it's, you know what holiness says? Holiness says you call the shots. I'll go. I'll do whatever I'm doing. But I'm going to look to you and you call the shots. And when he does call the shots, it's your shot, not anybody else's shot. When God tells you to stop doing something, you stop doing it because it's for your health. It's for your benefit. It's for your blessing. And it's for your growth. But don't impose it on anybody else. I could go back. I've said it three times this year. The buttermilk story. Anybody not know the buttermilk story? You never heard the buttermilk story? Okay, I'll tell you the buttermilk story. It'll take a minute. My mother was very sick. And she had a dream. And she said that in the dream, God told her, drink buttermilk. My mother got up the next day and she drank buttermilk. And guess what? My mother was healed. So from then on, buttermilk was part of her healing process. That was that God and my mother. But guess what? Everybody that came to my house for the next 10 years was given the same remedy for healing. Drink buttermilk. I think she might have killed a few people. God healed me with buttermilk. So everybody gets buttermilk. Oh no, folks. You see, the way God sanctifies you is not the way he sanctifies me. Sanctification is not across the board. Sanctification is not cloning. Sanctification is not making everybody a seal. No. Sanctification is a oneness of mind and heart toward him. Where you say, Lord, deal with me as you would want to deal. Lord, purify me in your time, in your will, and in your way. And you know what? He may take something from your life that somebody else is very actively engaged in. God may say no to you. Because you see, God deals individually and he knows your idiosyncrasies. He knows that there are things that will take you to hell. Yet there are other people doing them and they're not going to make it to hell. You say, well, uh, well, 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 well. Steam and poof and huff and puff all you want to. God still deals individually. Oh, I love him. Oh, oh, I love him. I love the wisdom of God. I love the individuality of God. I love the intensity of his love in an individual basis to each of us. That's God. That's the way he operates. So first thing God has to do is take your eyes off of that which is controlling you and giving you orders. Take your eyes off of it. Second thing he'll let you do is see him. And when you see him, what he'll show you is his holiness. His holiness. 
symbolically by seraphs, angels. Symbolically by the trains of his garment. Layers and layers and layers and layers. By the smoke that rises up from his temple. Those are just symbols. But there he sits. When you've said yes to the Lord, then a process starts which is so beautiful. And the process is this. The first process is realizing who you are. You know, I don't like somebody to tell me I'm nothing. I don't like anybody to tell me I'm nothing. I once heard preached on the rat theory. I put, the, I, put the, I put the sermon back in an envelope and send it back. Don't tell me I'm a rat. Don't give me a rat theory. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Yet God, when he lets you know you're unclean, You can't argue with him. You see, I fight with somebody that says, you're just a rat. <laughs> no, I'm not. When God looks from heaven upon me, and I'm surrendered to him, and he says, you're unclean, all of a sudden I know from the top of my head to the tip of my toes that I'm unclean. But you see, the difference is, when somebody calls you a rat, they can't do anything about it. They can't even kill the rat. But when God says you're unclean, he immediately has an angel that will take a coal from his holy altar, will fly down to you, and that coal will go over your lips, and it won't burn your lips, but it will cleanse your lips. You see, God has a way of taking that which cleanses us, which would normally kill us, but it doesn't kill us, it just cleanses. And that's where this man stands with awe, and he says, oh my God. I am a man. And his declaration is so beautiful. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the Lord. And one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken from tongues, taken with tongues from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard... voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go? There's the process, folks, and I'm finishing up with this. We must take our eyes off of whatever sustains us on earth. We must see him in his glory and know that individually he will sanctify us because the sight of the Lord is a holy sight. And in his holiness, he won't let us lie or cheat or steal or be unfaithful. We've got to see him. We've got to see him. Then his holiness comes to us in a form of cleansing. The angel saw, or better said, Isaiah saw an angel with tongues. We've got the perfect, perfect symbol, which is no longer an angel with, with a coal in, 
in his hands. We've got the blood that flows from Calvary. And that's instant application for whoever wants it. It is Calvary. It is Calvary. And that's what cleanses us. And once we've asked for this cleansing, and once we've accepted this cleansing, and once we've yielded to this cleansing, then you'll hear the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? And who will go? Then Isaiah said, I said. And it's a typology of Christ. I said, here I am, Lord. Send me. And he said, go tell my people. Take away everything that clouds your vision. Look up and see him in his holiness. Let him cleanse you with the blood of his son. And then hear his voice saying, whom will I send? Tell him to send you. Tell him to send you. With the power of Calvary, with the knowledge of Calvary, this is the evangelist of the Old Testament. We've got the reality of the blood of the New Testament. We can do it. The nature is the same. God looking for a holy people. God looking for those that will love him and walk with him. God wanting a people to love him. Let's look to Calvary. Let's look to Calvary. Let's ask God to clear our vision of everything and to just see him. Shall we bow our heads in prayer, please? Let's just be still before the Lord. It's so important that you understand this simple yet glorious process this simple but very special process. It's simple, but it's, it's clear. In the year that King Uzziah died, and at that moment when that which clouds your vision dies so that you might see the Lord, you will then see him in his glory and in his holiness. And he, in turn, will make you holy through the washing of the blood. And then the question will be simple. Hallelujah. Whom shall I send? Who shall I send? And who will go? Tell the Lord you'll go. Tell him. To sow seeds of truth and righteousness wherever you go. Say, Sister Amy, does that mean I'm going into ministry? No, it means you're going into a holy life that makes you his servant and it makes you his vessel wherever you are. So God establishes a truth and God establishes a, a, what shall we say, a center of worship wherever you stand that men might know him. Pray about that.